Welcome to Sullivan Street, Episode 7. This is Part 2 of our two-part episode interviewing author Jeff Harkness. He wrote the Rain King book earlier this year, a biography of Adam Duritz and Counting Crows, available on Amazon.com. Link is in the description. Enjoy. I'm not going to give too many details about it so people buy the book. And again, I love I love the book. Um, is that one thing I did appreciate is you spending time talking about um, the movie he produced, the comedy movie, or he, he was the co-producer, and this play. And Because I, I forgot about the play that he was working on, the musical, which I guess those songs are not released, right? Like, because they're probably amazing songs, I'm guessing. Unless there there is a account, there's a, a versions of Goodnight Elizabeth that have a an alt that talks about a black sun, which the, we know the play is called Black Sun. So theoretically, right. it that could be related to that. Although no one's ever, I think, confirmed or denied that that has anything to do with that. Um, okay, he is Chelsea is one of the songs he was using in Black Sun, and there's another one. It's in the book. I I, I can't remember uh, which song, but there's a second one. Also, maybe it was good luck or something that he was going to use in, in there too. Is good luck? So, is that the one that you said in the book was also similar to Chelsea? Is that is that good luck that you? Yeah, right. I, I and also, yeah. good luck was was written during the recovering the satellites writing period, and uh, to me, it seems like he had earmarked that song as the sort of big ballad for recovering the satellites. Subsequently, he wrote Long December, and musically, they're quite similar. I think he decided. Long December was, you know, you know, sort of the culmination of this ballad he had been working on that began mm. as good luck. I would love to hear him release, uh, you know, that song. It's in- incredible. Because yeah. I will that, say that is the yeah. one album, Recovering the Satellites is, I think, the one record of theirs, right? I think there's enough on the cutting room floor where you're like, I'd really like the deluxe edition of that one. And he said, I think at some point recently that they may have found the the old tapes, tapes or something. Yeah, yeah, which would be amazing if I that's actually so. true, because that would be. I'd love I'd love a re-release of that one because there's a lot of stuff on suffocate and you know yeah right have you ever seen the video footage from the Ford Theater that was shot for the I think it's the whole concert and the documentary that was shot at the house during recorded covering the satellites the doc a bunch of the, the, the a bunch of the Ford Theater stuff was circulating I don't know if it was the whole concert um, that it might have been like a part of it. The doc on YouTube is really good, years right? ago. It's amazing. Yeah, it was on YouTube years ago and it's disappeared. So I, I think that that's part of, they, they disappeared it because they're planning to release it, I think. Because documentary and that, that concert, incredible footage. And Adam has said, we don't, you know, they have, the tapes have been destroyed and hopefully they found them, but that they have tons of video footage from recovering. So I'd love to see that. Right. Well, and also again, obviously storytellers, as someone who's put a lot of Counting Crows video footage up on YouTube, they do not want storytellers up there or whoever is representing them does not want storytellers up there. Right. Um, and I have noticed at times things get disappeared and then re and, and then they get released, right? The, the two meters, some of the Amsterdam stuff got disappeared on me and I was like, Oh, okay. I guess there, someone was enforcing it. And then it's not long, much longer that that showed up on Amazon's um, coda collection, they call it, but there's a bunch of those set. And the, the, the two counting crows ones are on there. If you're ever looking for they're, and they're something great. For an Amazon. Yeah, they're, they're terrific. Great. They're, and especially so, yeah. 
Yeah. Suddenly there's a bunch of Counting Crows concerts on Amazon that weren't there even. Yeah, I mean, I've seen them before, but suddenly <laughs> yeah. they're available yeah. again. It's like, ooh, fun. So, well, there's also that there's that app Quello or Kel. I don't know how you say it, but it's the one Q, of those. Yeah. And they had put up a a 2008 show from a UK festival. I think the wireless festival that yep. I had actually, and I don't say this to buy, I'm, I'm, I've hawked and down, I've gone after this up and I, that came up and I was like, I have never seen this footage before. Certainly not a whole show of it. Um, good, which is pretty yeah. amazing to finally find a fresh show from, from 15 years ago. Um, and a good one, a real good one. They're, they're in, in fine form on that one. Um, good tour. Yeah. I, one thing I want to ask you about, Jeff, is, is sort of your the construction of the book. The one thought I thought was interesting was that I felt like in in putting in a lot of the writing about the band, especially in the 2000s, um, it kind of gives air to a lot of the, the critics of the band, right? The people mm-hmm, who kind of mm-hmm. go to review a Counting Crows concert and are like, why the hell is this guy doing this? What on earth is what on earth is going on? Right. Um, and I'm I was curious about sort of the the mindset there and and you know why it, it's in because it, 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 co- it cuts both ways to me. On the one hand, you do want to hear all the perspectives. At the same time, there is a sense that they became a band that kind of didn't care or wasn't aiming for those people. You know, the if you were walking off the street and writing about Counting Crows, there was a good chance they were going to hate this. <laughs> right. Know? Right. Yeah. Well, I think I think part of it was that and, you know I was sort of looking for the patterns. You know, this is this mm. is Eric and I going into our sociological training where we're looking mm. for patterns, and the patterns that I saw in my sort of you know informal content analysis of those um, articles and and you know newspaper stories that came out was that early on the band was just very critically lauded, almost to the point of absurdity, where they were talking, you know, just extolling all the books mm. he had read. And, and you know, it was just almost like ridiculous how um, fawning the press was about him in some of these big outlets, too. Then later, it was interesting to see how the New York Times, Rolling Stone, you know, some of these outlets that were just so reverent, they you know, turned on him almost, you know. And mm. I thought their attacks were very personal in some ways that were surprising to me, you know. I remember telling my wife, you know, like, they're really being very personal in these attacks, you know. And she's like, yeah, okay, you know, welcome to welcome to my world, you know. This is, <laughs> the women have had to deal with these, you know, talks about their looks and all this stuff for years, mm-hmm. you know. And so he's certainly not fair game, you know, to, to this sort of, you know, celebrity bashing that they do. Um, as far as, so I wanted to show how the critical trajectory of the band changed, how gotcha. they went from being revered in New York Times and, and lauded and, and esteemed as almost poets um, to being just really like, you know, almost insulted as corporate hacks and all this kind of stuff. And so I was trying to, to show that and also be honest about how that, that changed. Um, but at the same time, you know, continually throughout the book, I'm trying to point out the places where I think they made good decisions or mm. did artistic choices. You know, um, you know, certainly it's not just, you know, bashing them. And sometimes oh, they say the sure. critics, yeah, got it, yeah. critics got it wrong, you know, like the 2007 tour, I think, where they had really revitalized themselves. The critics were bashing it. And I'm like, no, the critics were just wrong about this. They, they missed I, 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 it. You know? Wrong about that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they missed it. And so there's sometimes where I just say, you know, the critics were saying this, but they overlooked, you know, what was really happening. So yeah. I, I try to be honest about that. I didn't want it to be a fanboy thing where sure. I'm just like, oh, my God, everything they've ever done is amazing. You know, from the very first song to the very last song, you know, it's all 10 out of 10s. 
because nobody takes that seriously. And also, I know that the fans, even the big fans, even the hardcore fans like you guys are critical also, you know, critical being thoughtful, not just bashing yeah. them and being critical. But, you know, we love to play this parlor game, whether it's the Beatles or any great band about, oh, yeah, the Beatles have songs that I don't, I don't like or al whole albums. Oh, my God, that I don't love. And other ones that I think are just incredible. So I want to I, you know, to me, Counting Crows belong as part of that conversation. They're so good that they can certainly handle a bit of criticism. I think sure. my my favorite album by them is probably Hard Candy, which is an album that mm -hmm. to me has some of their worst songs on it, but the highs are so high that I don't care, you know. Okay, I, I would skip them. <laughs> Jeff, I was literally just about to tease you. I had that on my list for today, which is that um, <laughs> I was I'm glad that you mentioned in uh, 45 minutes ago that Hard Candy was probably your favorite album because yeah. you, you have a line in your book that says, "Well, like you know, this is great, this is great," but then some of it, some of the the middle of the album, what it, you, which uh, I want to tease yeah, you. Yeah. you said maudlin mid-tempo sludge <laughs> right which uh because you know the i guess the and i agree with you maybe on one of the songs but i kind of like some of the others but I, I understand your point about some of those kind of experimental songs if you will at least two of them right new frontier we'll, and we'll definitely um, bring you back to rank uh, the hard candy <laughs> album we'll, we'll yeah, definitely well, i want to hear <laughs> yeah yeah and, and again, I, I know that when fan, when the fans of the Counting Crows read, you know, that I don't like this song or that song, they're going to take issue with that because I know some for some people that might be their very favorite song, and they think I have no idea what I'm talking about. But <laughs> part of the part of the fun of loving a band like Counting Crows is having these sort of conversations about, you know. Uh, even like somebody like Bob Dylan, it's like, man, he's made some terrible left turns in his career. He's a genius, but my God, what was he thinking you know, at certain points? And those are fun conversations if you're a music geek like me to have, you know, and I love that Counting Crows are, are certainly have always been part of that conversation for me. Oh, and, and I love that. I had no idea. I knew that he was trying to experiment, but for example, I actually didn't know, um, referencing New Frontier, that when you talk about the origins of the band, that, that some of them wanted to play around in that new wave sound a little bit. So I actually oh, yeah. now see that as a tribute or I just thought that Adam wanted to challenge himself, right? Because Adam likes to challenge, like, you know what? Let's make a new wave song. I didn't realize that, that there were some origins to that. So that's where your book... Um, uh, came in, but yeah. hey, before I say, oh yeah, please, please, let's say this. Could say to your just went before about the sort of peaks and valleys of the band, which I I do think it is something that people this band has hit such interesting highs at times. I do think I find in conversations people do sort of struggle with the concept of how up and down at points they've been. You you tend to find mm -hmm. people will say things like, "Oh man, remember when they used to always they used to always play like twenty five songs," and you're like, "No." The math does not check out on that. <laughs> right. it, that, that is wrong. Like even if right. you're looking at that, like the 2001 shows you'll do, they played for two hours. They're great shows, but they played 18 songs each night, and they're not. Yep. It just it's just not always true. And and yeah. times where people, oh, there was always different every night. I'm like, not always. Not if you look there. There's some peaks and there where things are going up in terms of that. And there's also yeah. some times where things go down. Um, but yeah, I also and I also think you're right that it's. There is something about being a fan of this band because of the way that people responded to them in the 2000s, where people were like, oh, you like the band with the fat guy with the stupid hair? And you're like, whoa, 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 hey, yeah, hey, hey. Yeah, whoa. what? <laughs> you know. Are you insulting what? me? Because, And that's, I think it's interesting because I, I think you're right that the fans of the band, maybe because of that time period, tend to take the criticisms a little personally because it was, right. people were insulting Adam in such a sort of personal way that they're like, it almost became a, like, wait a minute, you mean I'm an asshole for liking these songs? And that's, there is kind of an interesting journey maybe of the fans of the band because of that. 
thing that happened to the band where it went from being a thing that everyone was supposed to like to how dare you like that if you're a serious music band. You're like, no, no, what are you talking about? You know? I, I think the reason there hasn't been a book about Counting Crows is the hipster critics are too embarrassed to put their name on a book like this. You know, you fools. Yeah, no, you're right. You know? It makes me more defensive. And you're right about the personal attacks. <laughs> and again, I know that Adam gets so, and so do I, when when he'll get interviewed even to this day and someone say, oh, so you dated two of the Friends people. Oh. <laughs> and then inevitably, not only that, but then you get all these online comments like, how could that guy get those girls? Right. Uh, that just shows you if you'd be a rock star, you could get. And, and listen, I'm not saying that Adam, you know, was going to uh, end up as a male supermodel instead of a singer. But I love when people but it just shows you how defensive I am about stuff like that. Not only is it a personal attack, like both of you said, that's kind of unnecessary, maybe in some ways human nature for hipster snarks. But <laughs> also his sister and a lot of people have said like, Adam was always now he always references, oh, I could get more women and Mr. Jones. I couldn't you know, that's what it was about. I couldn't get the pretty girl. But then Adam's sister and a bunch of other people said, no, he always had that charm. Like, yeah. of course, that's part of his thing. And he had this these deep meanings. I mean, these deep lyrics come from things that also women like. Right. When you're this deeper kind of mm -hmm. introspective mm -hmm. personality. I, I say the same thing again about like, you know, Billy Corgan in a way or whatever. And what, mm -hmm. by the way, I think you said in your book and this is the one I almost was going to end with this. But but, you know, maybe we have a couple more things to talk about is the one line that you had that I think was actually the most revealing in a kind of a jokey way that either he hinted or he said that he never cheated on. That was part of, I wish I was a girl that he never cheated on any of his girlfriends. <laughs> and I almost laughed at I'm like, really never. Now again, maybe 90% you were the good boy, but I'm just trying to imagine out of all the songs about women and introspection and, sex yeah. drive and all this yeah. kind of stuff that and 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 going and even joked about how being a rock star at concerts you know allowed him some you know maybe mm -hmm. some good opportunities but anyway that just made me laugh not that i want to know but i was like really if it is yeah. i'm really impressed if not then i understand too so. yeah right well you know so people try to you know always want to make them themselves look good and he he's somebody who's it's true. He gets asked these weird questions about his, his dating life and stuff. And in some ways, I tried to steer fairly clear of that material in the book, although sometimes I felt like it was important because it impacted the writing of the music that he was doing. And, yes, and I yes. felt like I needed to, at some points, you know, bring it in. But I didn't, you know, like, oh, I'm going to list every single person he ever dated and try to get, you know, to me, it was just like, I, I wasn't interested. But a question I wanted to ask both you guys, and mm. may, maybe I'm... I'm opening a, a can of worms here um, at the 11th hour, but, you know, to me, it's something that's interesting about Counting Crows is how, you know, we as fans respond to their music. And so my fandom, I think of the band has changed over the years as I've changed. And a big, mm. some big part of that was becoming a father and getting married. You know, when I was in my twenties, I related to Counting Crows music so much partially mm -hmm. because you know, I was in those relationships where you're up at three in the morning, you know, trying to figure it all out and all that kind of stuff. But now that I've been ha very happily married for like 13 years and, and I have kids and all that kind of stuff, like I, I don't connect to those songs in the same way. And and I mean, maybe, Eric, you were making this point earlier, but I don't hear Adam writing songs that speak to my, uh, you know, sort of experience in life now uh, as much as he spoke to them earlier. And I feel like partially it's because 
I have grown and changed in some ways that he hasn't, you know, like he hasn't become a father. He never got married. And those things are, as you know, very significant, you know, hugely, you know, sort of changing to a person. So I just wondered, I guess I wonder about it's it's not so much that the Counting Crows, you know, have fallen off or whatever. It's just that my life has changed and I don't relate to their music so much because it it to me there hasn't been a lot of it but to me it's like i don't relate to possibility days or, or something like that personally i i get it but i that song doesn't speak to me on a personal level oh, that's 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 funny because i um i i yes and no right that's what i was getting <laughs> at with somewhere under wonderland now i will say and i actually said this in an earlier podcast when we get to it even though I was older, I still related to Saturday night, Sunday mornings, because I was going through the exact same breakdown at the time. And I thought <laughs> right. I was kind of losing my mind. Yeah. And so I totally got that. And I had ties to New York City with Washington Square and everything. So um, so I get that. Um, yeah, it's funny because I actually think possibility days and God of Ocean Tides are OK. So obviously not having lyrics about kids, although I told Chris in the one podcast, uh, I think it was about August and everything after I said some of the oh no, off the record, we said some of those songs about love. You can actually also um, substitute children in there if you think about it. Um, mm. And we used the line for Anna Begins where we said, like, uh, every time she's sneezing, I believe it's love and yeah. I'm not ready for these sort of things. Well, that's mm. what you can say when you're holding a baby. Yeah. Right. Because that's exactly yeah. what happens. Um, so uh, but it's interesting because I actually think we'll talk about this when we get to the album. I think Possibility Days and God of Ocean Tides and a couple of songs on there are some of the few that uh, he is talking about like 20 something love, but he is looking at it, it, I think from, I don't know. Like a distance. A, a, yeah, or decades past. And, mm. and even yeah. if he doesn't have children, it would be neat to talk to him about the reflection of the decades and also that we're getting closer to death and mortality. And mm -hmm. I think Possibility Days hints at that a little bit when he talks about the burden of all of our days and how that kind of sticks with you, at least at least for me. And Buttersweet, uh, but you're right. Elvis went to Hollywood that was so abstract that, and I love actually parts of that song, but the lyrics are so abstract and a little, um, I don't say out there, but uh, you know what I mean? And that was on purpose, right? Of some of the kind of imagery and, and things that, yes, you're not going to have that personal connection. A little bit buttersweet miracle because I can, because the one of the songs is about being in the band, right? And one of them is about yeah. being a fan of the band. Yeah. So those, those I can still relate to, but absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd like to see uh, a little more because even all my friends, one great thing about all my friends, and if you see in about the video, is that he's basically talking about how he's a certain age and his friends are having children and kind of moving on and he's mm -hmm. not. And I think he could do a more uh, uh, up-to-date version of that, too, about being at the age he is now. Chris, yeah. do you have a comment? But I do think part of it is that the it, stuff like uh somewhere under wonderland and, and the butter miracle suite are smart reactions to i think the criticism you'd make in that they they don't they are not about whatever adam's dating life has been like over that period with maybe the True. exception of a couple yeah. of small things there um whereas there are other artists that have kind of continued to mine that well where i'm like I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry it didn't work out for the 50th time with the girl. But <laughs> right, right. this this song this song was better when I heard it 15 years ago, and I kind yes. of believed it a little bit more. Right. Because after after this, maybe you need some personal reflection. Maybe yeah. that would be helpful as opposed to writing another song about how the girl left you and it's it's so sucky. Um, yeah. So I do think again, I think 
he's tried to grow and evolve with that. And maybe it, I, again, I don't, wouldn't put either of those two albums up as I wouldn't label them their best. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think he tried to evolve the writing in a way that isn't so focused on like, Oh yeah, I'm just still a guy out in the town. True. Um, and it may be, and maybe it's helped. I mean, he's, I think he's been in a relationship for several years now. I don't I really so. track that enough. I just know enough to know that he seems to be talking about the same person still after many years. So it seems <laughs> like it seems so like they're, yeah. it seems like he's he's sort of a little bit starting to mature on that front. Um, <laughs> but I think yeah, no, it's a good point though. I think that the, point. these bands are um, this is a band that that does kind of touch a certain feeling that tends to I think really connect with someone in their twenties and thirties, right? The feeling of like particularly the early 20s, right? There's a reason why college kids, why it was perfect to co- tour colleges with Counting Crows. Because right. yeah. this is music for people who are feeling all the feelings. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, if you're 21, right. 22, 23, this is music for you. And we can all kind of, as we get older, it still reflects, it still hits us. But yeah, the intensity of that feeling, you know, I was listening, I was just listening to a show before and there's a, I, the, the line in Come Around about, you know, um, I, I've seen what she thinks is love and it leaves me laughing. And I'm like, yeah, when I, when I was, I think I, I would have heard that for the first time I was 24 or 25. And I was like, yeah. And now I'm <laughs> right. like, yeah, yeah, it still makes me feel that way. But I just, I'm <laughs> not angry about someone's concept on love quite the same way that I was when I was 25. You know? Although it's funny with that, with that song, even um, I, I, yeah, when that song came out, I was, I had a bit of a, of a disagreement with one of my best friends and I kind of, but we both kind of said, oh, let's get a, a, a male friend. We said, oh, we'll just take a break. But we knew we were going to come back to being good friends again. We just kind of needed to take a little break. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I was, even though I know it was about the gender swapped band, it. I gender swapped it. And I said, we'll, we'll still come around. We have too much history. Uh, I'm not too, but your point, by the way, um, Jeff is actually a theme in our pot. You know, when this podcast is said and done, I think that's going to be the theme that it's actually a coming of age band and mm-hmm. maybe the best coming of age band, of course, mm. partly because we can, because that's part of what their stories are about coming of age and figuring out yourself and then reacting yeah. to things that either happened or didn't happen. And I actually mentioned that to Dan, um, when I met him at the Troubadour and he was kind of laughing about the podcast and, and why there's some obsessive fans. And I was like, part of it was the timing that it was these personal stories at a time when you're really focused on the person. And of course the music's incredible too. And the lyrics and the band is unbelievable and all that. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to also defend possibility days as just, I want to make clear, I think it's maybe the best song on that album. I love it. I think it's absolutely mm. beautiful. I just meant that uh, they can have a song that I think is just absolutely like a 10 out of 10 song, but I don't connect with the lyrics or like the meaning of the song the way that I might have before. And I wonder, I guess my point is that seems to be more about me than it does about them because that's a great song. It's just, uh, it, it, I'm at a point in my life where I don't, it, it doesn't feel as personal to me or something. Right, you didn't have yeah. your first kiss with a girl recently, <laughs> and then she flew back, to, and she flew back to London, right? Where there's some kind of disagreement about no, because you're seeing the same person every day and whatever. So actually, um, Eric, I have a funny story. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> well, but, yeah, um, it's a combination of the two, right? Because the songs are a little bit more abstract, right? I mean, yeah. Try to. I know what God of Ocean Tides is about, but really God of Ocean Tides could be about a lot. I mean, it's yeah. a fairly abstract conceptual thing uh, until he, 
actually, it's kind of interesting. I feel like on some of those, the recent records, he always said, I resist kind of giving you these details. But some of the songs that I feel like I understand the best in the recent records are the ones where he explains like, no, 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 like, I'm on a bus. I'm doing these things. These things hit. And you're like, oh, I understand God of Ocean Tides now because I understand yeah. the, le- the the aspect of sort of leaving people behind and that feeling. Um, or the same with uh, Tall Grass where you're like, the 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 person taking a train to he's he's in a place in London. She is his girlfriend. She takes a train to Paris with the, and that leaves him alone. And you're like, and that helps you kind of into a song that is otherwise fairly abstract about certain feelings and the process and art and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Again, talk about the contradictions and the sort of the journey that he's gone under where he's always resisted those details. And now he's kind of sometimes maybe having to give those details because the songs used to have all the details in them. It used to be like, who's Anna? Well, her name was Anna. And <laughs> right, right. well, he, you know, thanks for bringing that up actually. Cause tall, and by the way, Jeff, that's what I said. I know that part, I know I'm not the only one. And part of it of course is in my own mind, but you know, I was in the UK last year, shortly after butter miracle and I'm taking trains and I'm seeing the, the grass plains of the UK and then I'm following them around the UK. Kind of what he's talking about in um, Bobby and the rat Kings, you know, right. you have some almost groupie. And so it was funny, but some of the, but even that song in tall grass, I thought a l- one line when you were talking about, which I actually totally agree with you about um, about what you said about uh, relating to certain parts because now you're middle aged or whatever. But uh, even his line where he's talking about the um, some of the innocence gone, right? You know, and then we don't mm-hmm. know why. Right? What, once you lose that instant innocence, I guess in a way I was buying. That's not from a twenty year old saying that. That's from somebody maybe in middle age thinking back to things that hi- uh, happened in their childhood. And um, how that changed maybe the trajectory of their life or whatever. Um, anyway, I, well, I think the thing about birthday cakes with God of Ocean's Tides, right? Or candle wax on paper plates a little bit. Anyway. I guess my point was that um, Adam did such an incredible job of articulating all the feelings, as Chris said, of being in your yeah. 20s. I would just love him as an artist at his age now to do something that spoke about his experience of life at this age and looking back and what it's like. And, um, you know, that could speak to me on that same level, just because we've both grown, I've grown and he's grown. So as an artist, I I wish he still had the ability to say something to me that, you know, was as impactful as, as those things uh, that I was hearing at a different age. It's, yeah. it's, I, I don't say this as a criticism of the Counting Crows. I say it as more of a, a thinking about what it means to be a fan of, of music and a listener, a lifelong listener of an artist. Part of it oh. is, though, I think as, a, as I get older, I tend to connect more with people at, who, who are writing songs and are basically the same age as me. You know, right. it used to be, it was sort of like, oh, these kind of older brother types, right? Mm-hmm. You know, with Adam Durance's. Mm-hmm. I'm is significantly older than me. I guess he'd be like my uncle or something. But, um, you know, that that kind of thing. And now as, as, I, as I reached sort of, I started seeing in my late, my mid-30s, um, people starting to write things about what it's like to be, you know, going through the same sort of stuff. Mm. They're, part of it is that they're writing now with enough reflectiveness because they are, the, well, my favorite artists happen to be around the same age as me. Um, right. And... That sort of works for me better than like I don't know exactly what I'm. Again, I'm I'm be listen. I'm always willing to listen, but I'm not sure exactly if Adam would have as much to say to me as certain other, you know, 
uh, records that have really spoken to me over the last five years. Uh, mm-hmm. Strand of Oaks, Eraserland, uh, Andrew Bryant's Private Window. I, I, there, there's a lot of stuff that, and I don't want to, I don't want to like just name records, but like stuff where I'm like, oh yeah, we're basically, you know, the same age, and they're talking to me as if we're just friends, essentially, kind of. I, I was thinking about uh, your comment, Jeff, and that somehow. It's really genius, and I'm not even sure why, and we'll get into this when we get into the actual deep dive on Recovering the Satellites, but how some of those songs, and particularly I'm thinking Recovering the Satellites, but maybe also have you, to a lesser extent, have you seen me lately in some of those, how they're about his celebrity, which none of us can relate to, yet Recovering the Satellites seems so relatable, and Mm. I I Mm. am not even able to put my... Now, have you seen me lately? I kind of get, because like, oh, have you seen me lately? I'm changed from what I was a couple years ago or whatever, even if you're not on the radio. Um, But something like Recovering the Satellites, I don't know why that hits so well, even though in some ways it has nothing to do with anything that we've gone through. Um, but but it, mm. it feels like it, it does. So anyway. I think uh, that record feels particularly fresh in a pandemic, in a post, in a, yeah. a, a COVID yeah. influence world. I think mm-hmm. the feeling of disconnection. I actually think they absolutely should re-release that record because I think a lot of people would rediscover and love that record in 2023 because it's just, I think it is quite, quite on point. Can- can I mention on the New Orleans show, I know we might have some final, but but uh, again, we've been talking, and don't forget, you can uh, download the uh, bootlegs of this on Crow's Town, and I'll put the link on the description again, if you're interested, and we had, and we like to have our guests listen to some of their classic shows, but one thing that struck me so um, hard on, on listening to those shows that you went to, Jeff, was that the crowd was singing along to the lyrics of recovering the satellites, mm-hmm. which was not even a single. And it's not like a catchy poppy song mm-hmm. from the album, recovering the satellites. And I was blown awake. I mean, can you imagine going now with thousands of people and then the whole crowd, like get back to basic, like it would never happen. Like maybe 12 of us know those, li- <laughs> or, you know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but th- I don't know if that struck me. I mean, besides mentioning new Orleans and Miami, that really struck me about how big they were and how many people had that album. And even a non single, they knew the lyrics and wanted to sing it back to Adam. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And uh, I was also listening to those shows and like, uh, you know, obviously it's a song that's more known, but the crowds singing along to Omaha and Rain King, you know, I mean, they're just, you could just hear it sort of coming through the speakers. That show, the second show, I mean, uh, one thing, because I I didn't talk much about these New Orleans shows and I apologize. Our conversation has been so interesting and free flowing, but um, that those shows, one thing that I noticed in the liner notes, they talked about, you know, night one, the most amazing shows they ever played. I, you know, what I remember is going, driving all that way and going and seeing night one. And at the end of the night going, did I just drive a thousand miles for nothing? You know, I don't want to say nothing. No, I don't want to say nothing. But like, was that worth driving a thousand miles for that show? I'm not so sure. And then the next night um, I went back and it was like, I looked at my friend right after they played Anna Begins, which was the second song, maybe even at the beginning. And I just, we looked at each other and I just went, oh, wow, it's going to be one of those nights tonight. And that second show, I think that's the second best show I've seen them play that second uh, night in New Orleans. There's something about a band when they're on the road and touring and they stop at a town and they've had it, they don't have to travel. And they, so they, they get to be there for a couple of days 
there's something about that second night. They didn't have to do a, you know, sound check, set up, tear down, all that kind of stuff. So they had a much easier day. And of course, they love New Orleans. So they're much more relaxed. They don't have to work as hard. They have more fun. It's so funny that second show, Adam comes out. I forgot about this, but he talks about how full he is because <laughs> um, he had eaten this giant like New Orleans meal right before that. And of course, we could all relate too because we're in New Orleans all, you know, eating all the New Orleans food too. But um, just how much fun those shows were and how personable he was, how personal the shows felt. Um, you know, I was struck by that having seen them this year. Um, just and then going and listening to those shows, it's like, wow, this was, you know, so personal and all felt so intimate at all. You know, he was the things that he talked about and just talking about being full and everything. He was just so funny. And um, uh, but I, I do that's remember what, what I was, yeah. no, I was saying that's what I was getting at about him and the women. I mean, he's a bit being charming and open. And yeah. that's what I said. This is a really he even if he wasn't a rock star, he would be a, a very charming and likable. Yes. And intense. <laughs> yes. Does he get moody and stuff? Yes. And he's allowed to be a little more moody as a yeah. rock star. Yeah. But that's part of what why we like him. Yeah. So yeah. anyways. So great shows. And especially the, I'll tell you, I mean, even though I know people like night one, night one, night two was something special. That was a very special show. And you could tell from the minute they started, it was just like, there's something going on tonight where these guys are, are about to bring it. And that show, even if the set list, you may not like it as much or whatever. It's like, man, I don't know what it was, but they, they, uh, they were in an extra gear that night for sure. It's a great show. Well, he's, he's not someone's ever had a poker face about playing. Like it's, it's, and I think right. as he's gotten older, he's gotten a little bit more consistent, but sometimes that's be the beauty of some of those earlier shows is you're like, Oh, he's in a good mood tonight. And it's very obvious what kind of mood yeah. he's in. And that's going to influence the show. Yeah. I did think it was interesting. Like that, you know, they're two nights in a row. They're very different shows, but at the same time, they don't change. They only change about a third of the set. Again, we always think about these like glory days, but it's only six songs, I think, in each of them that are different in part because they play so much of Hard Candy, which again, that's part of it. It's like you're hearing those songs for the first time. So right. you've heard them for the second time and you're like, well, I guess I could go for that again. I <laughs> I really liked that one. I haven't heard it before. Um, yeah. But also just the the depth of the 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 alts in those songs. Uh-huh. Where he is going Thunder, all sorts okay. of different places. Um, um Chris, correct know. me if I'm wrong, because you're our uh you're our um we're gonna need expertise for us, right? That Jeff's the historian and you're the lot you're the you're the concert <laughs> and 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 Crowstown bootleg expert, and I'm more of the maybe the studio album you're the looks and lyric guy. and yeah. lyric guy. What'd you say? I'm the what? I said you're the looks guy and you're you're the looks and charm. Oh, I can man. Yeah. Looks, yeah, Adam's looks and, and my charm. But but it that but what really struck me, just because you were mentioning the alts, and I thought this was a good point to mention, and 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 you could correct me on this that the Have You Seen Me Lately seemed really unique to me because it was a mix of the acoustic and electric in the same song. Yeah, there's periods where they've done that. But yeah, this is sort of that the, the time period where they've kind of taken the two arrangements of the songs and kind of pushed them together, which and I, I had a note that I was like, oh man, I love this version. And I actually can't remember how frequently this they played this one but this is that sort of era same kind of with mr jones where right. you're sort of playing something between the acoustic and sort of full electric version it's kind of somewhere in the middle um, oh and right and he would even start with the maybe yeah the that, right. so you want to be a rock and roll star yeah, exactly um, it, did i also is this also counting crows trivia i never knew before that the one song that they on the set list was called Insomnia is either it was or is up a, all night is up all night, which also is called Frankie 
Ghost Miller, Ghost Hollywood. Miller, Ghost so it has. So the only kind of crow song that I know of that has three titles, three different names. Yeah. Okay, thank you. That was a little bit of trivia I did not know. Yeah. Uh, someone named because because Richard Manuel is dead. Everyone correctly gets is called Richard Manuel is dead. Even at this stage, right. they're like, oh, he says Richard Manuel is dead, and right there, and you go, oh, that that's clearly the name of it. <laughs> Yeah, I also thought that was a great version of Black and Blue upon second listening. That That's a song that sometimes, uh, all jokes aside, Jeff, that when I first heard it, you know, or when I first had Hard Candy was one of my, yeah, I thought it, like you, maybe somewhat mediocre, but certain times that I've heard it live or like that one, I was like, wow, this is this is quite a good song. Sometimes they grow on you or or you hear it yeah. like colorblind is a song that I never love that much. But every time I hear them play it live, it's great, you know, and I'm like, I don't know why I don't listen to this song on the studio version. But when they play it live, they get me every single time. A hundred percent, you know, so I was going to say I did. I, I had a look at those set lists. Um, there were only four songs that they repeated the two nights that had been released or were from the album. So Rain King, Omaha, Angels. And hanging around were the only repeats the two nights, which is amazing. Other than unreleased of the songs. release stuff, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They repeat the yeah. unreleased stuff, which yeah, is interesting. It's also kind of ballsy, right? That this is those <laughs> yes. are the songs they're repeating. <laughs> yes, and then good time. They only played it the first night. Carriage. They only played it the second night. Um, but then you know, night one, Mr. Jones round here recovering. Have you seen me lately? Good night, Elizabeth. Wish I was a girl. Only played that night. Night two, Carriage, Anna Begins, Sullivan Street, Murder One, Catapult, Long December, High Life. I mean, I was like, man, I saw a lot of good songs in two nights, you know, like that's incredible. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting is it's that you mentioned that first night. How many, I think you could probably count on one, maybe you get to a second hand, but of full shows they've played since its release that doesn't have a Long December. It's that's right. a really rare thing that you got to yeah. see that that first night of a show without it. Like that's a full show, right? Obviously they played radio things, they didn't play it, but to play like a two hour show and not hit a long December has been a very, very rare thing for them. Um, and I actually really like that the, the version of long December, the second night, which is the solo piano, maybe with Charlie, I could, I felt like I could kind of hear like accordion at different parts of it maybe, but um, certainly the stripped down version of a long December, I'm a, I'm a real fan of where it's just kind of him. That, uh, far, was that 2000 this is 2001 one. Right? and if yeah, anyone's it, going to looking for them it's august 27th and 28th 2001 and again if you go in the hard candy era of of crow's town you'll find them well it, yeah, it's funny you said that and we'll talk about this in a future show as i just started and i went through seven of them uh, as i said i've been to what 19 shows and i and at one point i did have a spreadsheet about what songs i've seen live I mean, years ago <laughs> yeah, when right, i had right. the first remember i'm a math guy uh, uh, but then lost it and, and got rid of it so i started doing it and it's funny one of my 2001 shows um, maybe both of them long December was not played. So that might be oh, the one maybe year. year that, that so year might be the one home. year that, yeah. One thing I'll talk about you off the uh, line is that, th- that the one show I went to, which was one of the colleges, it was, it's actually a college that nobody knows about, including me. I think it's called like Washington college. It's not Washington Lee. It's not university, uh, not George Washington. And it's in, um, uh, the, around the Chesapeake of, of Maryland. And um, I know the set list does not seem to be available anywhere. So it'll be interesting if there's a, a bootleg. Um, we'll, we'll look at that. Look. That, yeah, that so- though, at the very least, though, you could probably take an educated guess given they played a lot. That college tour, because remember, Matt was out. You, had, you didn't tell that yeah. story in the book, yeah. Jeff. That, that, that college tour, the set lists are pretty consistent. Although I actually really, really love a lot of those shows. I think they're, they sound really great on that tour with whatever they were doing to the songs at that point, maybe because Matt was out, they were rearranging them slightly in ways that I happen to like, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
The other thing I say, I, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big alt guy. Um, some of the alts are the bigger ones, right? Rain King, his Thunder Road, and then Oh Susanna. Although, of course, he mentions Louisiana. I was going to say Oh Susanna, yeah. which people <laughs> that gets a strong. I'm, I'm. That's one of my least favorite Rain King alts, but that gets a pretty big response. So I guess it makes sense that he's singing Oh Susanna in, in New Orleans. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But my one of my favorites in here, they do "Come Pick Me Up" in the middle of of round here, which is one of those songs that, like, I know I I've, I've made the comment a, a bunch, and you may not have heard yet, but like that sometimes I don't love when the alt kind of doesn't really fit the theme of the song, and I'm not really sure that "Come Pick Me Up" fits in the middle of round here from a thematic perspective. He just sings the shit out of that song though, and it just, <laughs> right. I just think it always sounds great how they play it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a clip that came out online uh, a few years ago of him singing, uh, you know, four or five lines from 3 a.m., I think it was, by Rob Thomas. He's just on stage with Rob Thomas at some club or something, and Rob sings about half the song and then gives it to Adam, who sings it. I've never heard him sing it. And you're just like, man, this guy could just take anybody's song and just, you know, you just took the... You just did, did the better than their entire career, you know, in a few lines of this song. You just took their signature song and you just owned them completely. Like he's such a great singer, whether it's his song or somebody else's song. It just his ability to, um, you know, sing other people's songs always blows me away. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, well, he's but- very good, I think, intellectually at recontextualizing those songs. Very rarely do you hear him sing a song and go, oh, it kind of sounds like the original. And as a result, again, sometimes it works, maybe sometimes it doesn't. But if if you're tuned to him, hearing him sing, a lot of times you'll go like, man, that does sound better to me than any time I've ever heard that original song. Even heavily covered songs. Like, right. I've, I've heard a million different people do Friend of the Devil, and I still think he sings mm. the shit out of Friend of the Devil. A mm-hmm. million people have done Big Yellow Taxi or mm-hmm. You Ain't Going Nowhere. And I'm like, I if I'm mm. picking a version, I'm probably picking the Counting Crows versions of those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, even if I'm probably not picking You Ain't Going Nowhere. I'd really, I've never really liked that song very much. But I forget if you mentioned it in the book that, anyway, I, I, I know we're wrapping up and I do have one um, question. This is not it that that I definitely want to want want to to end with. But, uh, but yeah, when we were talking, or I was talking about his kind of recent obsession of kind of Palisades Park and the suite and things flowing. And I know that he was somewhat inspired by and some of the shows they were playing, what the Beatles, they were playing a Beatles suite, right? You know what I'm talking mm, about? Yeah, the yes, when they were doing medley, right? Yeah, the medley. Yeah, right. yeah. That somewhat inspired him too. So anyway, that was interesting. Uh, right. Chris, do you have a final couple questions? I, I do have one that I want to end with. So the um, one I just did you end up getting to listen to any of that 2006 show I sent you? The, the parking uh, yeah. lot. Yeah. Yeah, so a little bit. And yeah, I did. I And of course, heard him introduce or. Maybe it's his post uh, introduction to Big Yellow Taxi, um, which was fun to hear him talking about how they were contractually required to play this song at that show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I did. I, anti- I, he's like, it's a very anti parking lot song, but for some reason they wanted us to play it and we're okay with playing it. Uh, we're, we're fine to, to, we're fine to play it. We like playing the song, but it's a very, and because you and they meant they meant Jeff mentions in the book there's a, a show where they played like basically a, they basically played a parking lot in 2006 right and we I found that that version of that song and he <laughs> literally talks about playing what how weird it is to be playing Big Yellow Taxi in what is apparently a giant parking lot oh, so somewhere funny. outside Kansas City yeah and he uh, said I don't think they listened to the lyrics very carefully it's a beautiful parking lot but I don't think you've <laughs> listened listened too carefully to the lyrics of this song. 
Anyway, no, so oh. I, I really appreciate that. And thank you so much. You know, I, I, in some ways, I, I, I almost wish I could just go back with <laughs> every single show in hand and, uh, you know, revise and, you know, correct. Well, that's what you do a second, you do a second book that's all just, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just start sending you stuff and you'll try to a second under, like an a, a addendum with just footnotes with all that <laughs> concert lyrics and these around oh this time. Oh my gosh. I Which is also, it. it's funny, actually, I pulled it up, I think, because I, I, I paraphrased it when I, I started typing it. I was like, this is so interesting when he started saying this. But we talked about how literate Counting Froze fans, he's like, he says, it's they, they don't listen to the lyrics, but you know that you're all very literate Counting Crows fans. So we are, right? We're all very right. literate Counting Crows fans, and we've listened, and we knew what the lyrics were about there. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so I'll, um, as we uh, tend to wrap up, again, this, this or not again, but this might be a two-part, uh, this might be a two-part episode. Um, but I do want to end with the elephant in the room, which is that not only you wrote this book, but you know, whatever this is, less than three months into it, that Adam knows the book has a copy of the book, has probably <laughs> yeah. read the book. or So please, can you talk about how you know that Adam knows about the book and 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 maybe that could lead to later an interview with him or whatever, but or just that sure. what that means to you that obviously for a lot of your life, you, yeah. you really... So yeah. I, I know, I mean, I know he is a fan of these types of books. You know, he reads these types of books just like I do and other people do. Like some people read mysteries and some people read romance novels and I read rock bios, I do. And um, I, he does as well. I just know this from interviews and I know it from seeing his bookshelf. He's a fan of this genre. So I said, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he read this book because he reads these books. And secondly, since there's never been a book, it, you know, I would think that he has to think how the same thing I thought. How's there not? How's nobody ever written a book about us? You know, this is insane. Like we've sold 20 million albums. You know, we have songs that are beloved by, you know, eight year olds and 80 year olds. Everybody knows this. Our songs play everywhere continuously. How come nobody's ever written a book about our, our band? That's crazy. So I kind of figured that because I knew that he reads these types of books and also that he has to feel you know, as many of us do, like a, a little, you know, taken aback by the lack of respect, shall we say, for the band, that he may, you know, be able to get a copy of the book. Um, when I was finishing the book, I, I looked to see where they were playing. I knew that they would be playing and I noticed, oh, this is great. They're going to be playing in Omaha, Nebraska. I was going to be uh, visiting you know, friends and family in Kansas City at the time. That's my hometown. And um, I thought I could drive up to Omaha. I've done that trip before. I could drive up to Omaha and maybe maybe somehow give him a copy of the book or something. That would be amazing. And then when I went online to look, I saw, oh, they have these VIP, you know, go to the soundcheck tickets and stuff. I've never done anything like that in my entire life. And they're, they're kind of expensive, too. And so I thought that's kind of crazy. But I thought, wow that kind of motivated me to finish the book. And I thought if I could finish the book and, you know, buy this ticket, maybe I could actually hand a copy to him personally. That would be incredible. So um, long story short, I go to the show and um, go to the, you know, the backstage, you know, whatever the backstage thing is, they have their concierge there. And I tell him, Hey, listen, I wrote this book about Adam and I'd really love to give him a copy. Is there any way you can get it to him? And he said, I just saw Adam like one minute ago backstage. I'll take it to him right now. And I said, great, let me write something in it. So at least, you know, 
whatever. I wish I'd had a lot more time to think about what I was going to write in there as this guy's standing there waiting for me. So I scribble something in the book and um, he takes it back there and comes back a few minutes later and he says, Adam has the book and he knows you're coming to soundcheck. So I said, great. All right. So we go to soundcheck. There's maybe not even 10 of us there. It's a big open floor. There are no seats on the floor. So we're just standing on the open floor of this Omaha uh, venue, watching the band doing their sound check, and uh, they do they do one song. I, I, I eh, I'd have to go look. Maybe it was Mike Blanchard. Can, can I ask how many how many people were at the sound check? The one time I did this, I want to say it was like thirty or something. No, no, no. But I this t- t- maybe ten. I don't even think it was ten. Oh, it was really okay. small. It's the concierge. I have video footage, so I could look, but. Seven to ten at the most. A very small. When you say number. concierge, that's yeah, it's not security. That's just someone who was in charge of the of the of the of the of the, of the sound check people and stuff. He, Make he sure he works you're in the for right. the band. Yes, he works for the okay. band. It's a guy named Charlie who works for the band, and um, he's okay. there to just kind of be our our liaison and kind of keep an eye on us. Help, you know, help out. So he's the guy who took it to him backstage, and. Um, so we're there at the sound check, and, and it was. It was that guy, Charlie, and just a few of us. I mean, I really do think it was like seven of us or something uh, who were watching watching the band. They do a song. I think it was Michelangelo. Um, that sounds great. Very beautiful. And then Adam comes up to the microphone and says, insider information. You know, the reason that Steve Bowman left the band, and he starts talking about why Steve Bowman wasn't in the band anymore, and he says something that he said publicly before, which is that I like Steve Bowman a lot more now that he's not in the band than I ever did when he was in the band. He said <laughs> that publicly. So I think I can I'm fair game to say that. So um, and I thought, wow, that's crazy. And then he starts talking about the reason Matt Malley left the band and he starts talking about the reason Ben Mize left the band. And and I'm thinking to myself, it sounds like he's talking about things from the book. But I also thought there's no way that he's talking about things from the book. <laughs> I've never I've never been to one of these sound checks. So I don't know how he acts at these sound checks, if he talks to people or what he does. I have no idea. But I'm thinking there is no way he's talking about the book. First of all, I just gave it to him. But I did think maybe he's got a copy. But it just it never occurred to me that he could possibly be talking about the book. I just thought mm-hmm. he's coming out here to tell us these crazy stories about why different people have left the band. Um, and so I uh, asked him, cause he's talking about Matt Malley. Oh, and he sees, so he turns to Immergluck and Immergluck says something and he says, no, no, that's in chapter four. You got to read chapter five, blah, blah, blah. So I said to my friend, he's definitely talking about the book, you know? Um, so my friend taps me, he says, say something, say something. So I said, uh, Adam, cause they were talking about Matt Malley. And I said, does this have something to do with the Rolling Stone article or the letter that got printed in Rolling Stone? And so Adam turns to me and he comes and starts talking to me directly and telling me the story about, you know, it's in the book, but about uh, Matt Malley's letter that he wrote the week of the 2004 election uh, that was printed in Rolling Stone. And so my friend starts to videotape and Adam says, don't take this, don't take this. And so I don't want to repeat. I'll tell you guys off the record, but I don't want to repeat what he said because I don't know. He said, don't, don't tape it. So I won't say what he said, but it's probably things that he said before. Anyway, he's talking about why different people left the band. I said, was it something to do with the uh, election and the letter in Rolling Stone? And he's he's talking about that a little bit. And I said, was it something to do with the yoga meditation thing that he got into? And um, And he said, 
No, it, it, like that stuff was all, I wrote about this in the book, you know, Matt Malley was very into this like yoga meditation stuff. He got way into it before he was in Counting Crows. He was so into it that his guru arranged a marriage to, you know, someone else who was in, you know, a follower of this. Um, and so he was way into it. And my point in the book was that at the very least, this put him at odds with his bandmates who are like, you know, rock and roll guys out on the road, drinking, party and whatever. So I thought, I don't know if this was a problem or whatever, but I just can imagine you have some very incongruent lifestyles here on the same tour bus. And that's had to lead to some tensions. But I didn't, you know, anyway, so Adam said that stuff was all very good for him. Uh, you know, it, he wasn't brainwashed or taken advantage of or anything like that. He was into that before he was in the group. And it kind of, you know, Matt Nally said it kept me grounded and everything. So Adam said that stuff was never a problem and and was not, not a problem. He talked about some other things that, that were. Um, and <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, I, he said, are there any other questions? And I said, are you going to do a, a an interview for the revised second edition of the book? And, and he was <laughs> And he was like, ah, you know, he kind of laughed, you know, um, like I was joking. I wasn't joking at him. Um, <laughs> but then he did. He turned to me and looked at me very seriously and said, thank you for writing this book. And to me, it was just like, you know, I, I'm done. Like, I don't need to hear any, anything else anyone has to say about the book, because all, all I wanted to know was that, you know, he he appreciated where I was coming from as somebody who reads these types of books and also that he understands that this book was written with a deep respect for the music, you know, first and foremost, that's why I, I did it that way. So um, he turns and walks off. And as he's leaving, I said, Charlie, wait, wait, Charlie Gillingham. Um, I have some copies of the book for the band. And so Charlie comes over and hops off the stage and, and we sit and talk for several minutes um, and I had copies of the book and I said, OK, here's six copies of the book because I already gave one to Adam. And he said, we have two backstage, so we just need five. I only need five. We've got two. We've already got two. So this is when I knew that Adam had already had the book and had already read it prior to this, because I was like, how could he have just read this book when he just got it? But um, he had had a copy of the book and and had been going around and the production guy, Charlie, not the keyboard player, Charlie, said, oh, yeah, everybody's been reading this backstage and all the, all the light, lighting guys or sound guys are reading it and stuff. This was this was the night of the show, you know, like it, now that they had the book, they're circulating it. And, um, uh, you know, Charlie said he loved the cover and, um, you know, was very happy, you know, just thought it was a cool book and everything. Um, you know, he told me that that he thought that the Matt Malley thing was was good reporting. That was the term that he used. and you know, he said, ah, they, you know, he kind of, it seemed like he was saying that nah, the yoga stuff wasn't, didn't have anything to do with it, but it did sort of seem like it was this letter in Rolling Stone that was kind of the tipping point for Matt Malley and what, what sort of ended things for him. It was interesting. Like I didn't know Matt Malley became a, a big rig truck driver after his career with the band. I didn't that know was that either. Small fact that was in the book that uh, I didn't know until I started researching whatever became a Matt Malley. So, um, it, it, and Charlie kind of got pulled away from us after that, but it was a, an incredible moment just getting to talk with Adam and Charlie a little bit about the book, knowing that they had uh, seen it, had read it. Um, you know, just having Adam say that to me, I mean, I, uh, that's all I would ever want really, you know, I mean, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> like, <laughs> thank you, Adam, you know? Um, and I, I, I'll tell you what, and, and I really mean this very sincerely when I talk to guys like you and other fans that I've talked to, 
about the book and they have seen 50 shows or they've seen 19 shows, I'm going, if, if, if you y'all hate this book, then I know I've done something wrong because <laughs> you're the real experts here. And so if you like the book at all, I feel um, like I've done my job and I really um, am very grateful that, um, that you like the book. So I appreciate that. Well, thank, thank you so I, much. I bought it without like any sort of review and, and, tore through it. That's the thing. If you're the type of person who loves going to see Counting Crows shows in the summer, where they <laughs> sing sad, the saddest possible songs that feel like they're right for summer, like right. Mrs. Potter's and Hard Candy, this is this is the book for you. This is your beach read. I guarantee it. Yeah. Put put some put some Counting Crows shows on in your headphones You'll and sit love at the it. beach yes. and, yes. and yes. take this no, in. It's it's great. And I think, to, to be honest, you, you might have to mention it. I don't think it's actually been mentioned on Reddit. I'm not on Facebook. And I, you know what? I think it might have came on as my an, on my Amazon once as a suggested, like before you released it. I think like months before, I think it like coming soon. And then I forgot about it. And then Chris said, by the way, I got my copy of the book. I was like, what book? Because I'm not on the <laughs> Facebook group. So, oh, okay. so uh, but yeah, as soon as I got it, I devoured it on the plane. And that's why I didn't have all the notes because I read some of it on the plane when I, you know, it was worried about turbulence, not taking notes or whatever. <laughs> uh, but then I read when I came back. So that's great. So no, I, I love hearing that, Adam. Thank you for it. That actually made me feel kind of warm inside. Although I am sorry to hear that that's all the validation you need. I thought us uh, on Sullivan well, Street our validation. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's Sullivan Street, yeah. So, um, so thank you so much. And we um, will, I guess we'll wrap this interview up now uh okay. anybody else has anything to say and uh we look forward to inviting you back onto the podcast uh soon so thanks so much for this special it was such a great conversation uh we appreciate it oh thank you thank you i can't i just i really appreciate it too there's nothing more fun than sitting around talking about the counting crows so <laughs> you guys you guys are on to something here with the sullivan <laughs> street thing well done gentlemen so thank you everyone and we'll see you next time down here on sullivan street Goodbye. Oh,